so there has never been more obvious there's a huge edge to be gained by looking into things like this with the hype it's only going one way he's still too cheap how can you not love fantasy football Hello and welcome to the Fantasy Sanctuary and as Tom says, how can you not love fantasy football? It is week 14, the season is fast disappearing but fear not, Tom and I are here to walk you through the week 14 slate and help you get those teams into the playoffs and also help you bring home some money in DFS. We're going to dive straight into the first matchup of the week and it is the big one, Rams at the Ravens, it feels like this could be the key to a lot of DFS lineups on Sundays on. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's going to be one of those situations where the weather in Baltimore is going to put some people off. And this the points over under total has dropped already on this, as a whole bunch of games have already this weekend. We are going to see plenty of rain. We are going to get into those winter months where some of these games across America are going to be affected by weather. But I don't think it really affects what the Ravens want to do. The Ravens want to run the ball. and They don't have a downfield passing game. So it all comes back to, are they still going to be able to pass the ball short, shallow, efficiently, at the same time as being able to run the ball? In terms of how they choose to run the ball, it's going to be really interesting because we saw pre-bye week, Keaton Mitchell have a season-high 46% of the snaps. He came in and seemed to be playing ahead of Gus Edwards at times. He's at 65 yards in three of the last four games. Does he kick on? Do we get that post-rookie bye week bump? And he actually takes a bit more. I'm a little bit sceptical, and I think that Gus Edwards is still going to be plenty involved, particularly if the weather's rubbish and there's questions about ball security because Gus Edwards is so reliable like that. I think we're going to continue to see Zay Flowers lead the team in targets um, in games without Mark Andrews across the week one and week 12 game that we saw him play. He had 2.8 more targets per game without Andrews within the games with him. And I think this is going to be a big Lamar game. Lamar has been rushing plenty, averaged 9.5 rush attempts per game over the last four games, racking up 48.5 yards per game in that period. And the Rams have struggled against dual threats, as you can kind of see there on the screen. They gave 47 yards to Josh Dobbs, 56 to Anthony Richardson, 72 to Jalen Hurts, and a touchdown. So... I feel, you know, would you the kind of blow-up game from Lamar at some point? His touchdown rate this year is lower than it's been across the course of his career. And part of that is because Gus Edwards has been phenomenal in the red zone and around that sort of inside the five. So it has taken away some of those passing touchdowns. And then on the other side of this game, what does it look like for the Rams? Karen Williams, his usage has been utterly elite over the last couple of weeks, you know, 58 PPR points combined in the last two. But he's coming up against a Ravens run defense that ranks fourth in DVOA. So do they manage to put the brakes on him? You know, they've had a full bye week to plan for this one. But I do like Kyron Williams simply because the Ravens aren't great against running backs receiving the ball. They rank 25th in DVOA against running backs catching the ball. And that's an area where we've seen Kyron be productive. I think Puka can have success. You know, he's averaging 9.8 targets per game. He's had no less than seven in any game this year, which is just remarkable volume. And where he's winning, it's not just in the slot now. He is winning downfield. Matthew Stafford's playing well, probably not getting the fantasy results that we'd like him to. But in real NFL terms, he's been fantastic lately. And then Cooper Cup, I mean, 
he had his third most receptions this year in his last game, but his yards per reception's been below 6.5 and three of the last five. Like, he's just not the kind of yak monster that he once was. He's had one top 10 weekly finishes here. So it's kind of hard to, to predict that it's going to come here in a tough matchup when the weather could be rubbish. But yeah, I definitely like the Ravens side of things, and I like the Kyron Williams playing possibly Puka at a push. Yeah, I, th- I think the thing with Cup is that he doesn't look healthy, does he? I talked no. about it in the um, Rises Fallers episode early in the week. He doesn't look healthy. I think that's affecting the amount of separation that he's able to get, but it's also affecting his explosion after the catch. The one interesting thing I'm worrying about with this weather is it's, you know, whenever there's bad weather, we tend to see less downfield passing. Does that mean we're going to go back to early season flowers usage where we're potentially going to see a high amount of manufactured touches, lots of screens, lots of, you know, reverses, end arounds, jet sweeps, that kind of thing to get the ball in his hands in space, but not have to be throwing the ball downfield? I think so, and I think it's it's looking for those opportunities to develop plays downfield with yards after the catch rather than, you know, the Ravens have struggled with that downfield pass all season, you know, there's been drops and so some statistics this week has suggested over 50% of the downfield passes Jackson has made have been catchable, but the wide receivers haven't caught them and that's a lower rate than average. So... I don't really worry about it because we saw with Zay Flowers last week that end around which he took to the house to finish the game against the Chargers. They're capable of creating those plays, and I think we've seen it from Odell Beckham on slants and stuff like that. Isaiah likely he had six targets versus the Chargers. They need to get him involved across the middle of the field in that kind of area, which is an area which okay, the Rams have got a really good safety in Fuller, so perhaps they try to take that away but I think the key to this game is to show a passing game for the Ravens yeah we've got a couple of our members in the chat good evening asking some questions uh Corin Williams a fade against the Ravens defense so I think like kind of as I mentioned the you know the Ravens run defense ranks fourth best in DVOA and where they're weak, though, is against pass-catching running backs. They rank 25th there. So I think if Kyron's going to get there, it's going to be through the passing game. But that's an area where he has been pretty reliable recently. You go back and you look, and he's been involved in both the pass-catching game and the rushing side of things. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not too worried about Kyron. And then uh, Lewis also in the chat asking, who do you start, Cup or Puka? Uh, he's, got, he's got a lot of shares of both. I mean, this is this is definitely the tricky question. So in DVOA, the Ravens rank 13th against wide receiver ones and league best against wide receiver twos. And it's up to you to kind of interpret which one is the best there. <laughs> I mean, I've got a call, Puka Nakua, the wide receiver one of the Rams right now. He sees more consistent work and he's winning in ways that Cup isn't. And he definitely looks better than Cup. So... Yeah, I think I'd start Cup. Uh, sorry, start Nakua over uh, Cup there, much as it hurts me deeply to say that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've got Puka 10 spots ahead of Cup this week. I think it's you just got to follow the volume and follow the healthy player, and it's certainly not Cooper Cup, as sad as that is. If you, like Rory and Lewis, want your questions answered, get them in the questions below. Whilst during the show live, Tom and I will be answering 100% of your questions at the end of each individual preview. 
The next game we're going to talk about, though, Detroit at Chicago. It feels like this Chicago offense is starting to potentially find its feet. And do you think that that could lead to Justin Fields potentially being a league winner down the stretch? Um, I think definitely what we've seen from Justin Fields has been encouraging. There was a report today from one of the Bears beat reporters that he's convinced that everything suggesting that they will be taking a quarterback in this year's draft, which makes sense from a team-building perspective. I think what we've seen from Justin Fields has been encouraging, but I don't think you could really go, okay, well, in a year's time, are we going to be ready to pay him? And then you can end up in a situation like the Giants with Daniel Jones, where you kind of are halfway in and halfway out, and then it doesn't do you any good whatsoever. So I would be completely supportive of them taking a quarterback for that reason. But Justin Fields has shown enough that he should be starting in the NFL next year regardless. Um, when this game was last played, it finished in Week 12, 31-26 to the Lions. That day, Justin Fields had an absurd 18 rush attempts for 104 rushing yards. There are running backs in this league who aren't getting that kind of volume like. And the Lions, they've struggled with dual threats. They allowed 45 yards to Mahomes, 39 to Love, who aren't even the most dual threaty of dual threats. And they gave up 36 and a touchdown to Lamar. So it's an area where I would expect the Bears to really just focus on. Why, why would we go away from it? DJ Moyes had 20.9 PPR points in games with Justin Fields, 10.3 without. And it really seems like their connection is worth playing. I think playing... Fields, DJ Moore stacks this week is going to be very productive, and I think it'd be pretty popular. What's kind of interesting to me on the Bears side of things is the Roshan Johnson situation. Before their bye week, he played a season high 74% of snaps. He had 15 touches against the Vikings. And Josh Norris, an underdog, brought up this week that he was like, he's not quite ready to crown Roshan Johnson the starter because we know Vikings blitz at one of the highest rates in the league, and we know Roshan Johnson is elite, well, not elite, but very, very good at pass protection. And did they just play Roshan Johnson knowing that the blitzes were going to keep coming all night? So that's really worth paying attention to. I think Donna Foreman hasn't practiced this week, so if he misses, it's a little easier to take a shot on Khalil Herbert if you have to. And if you have to start Roshan Johnson in a bind, perhaps you can. But yeah, I mean, this offense, outside of DJ Moore, there's nobody who I really want to play. Um, but on the other side, it was kind of good to see Jared Goff play a cleaner game last week against Saints. You know, he had zero turnover-worthy plays or fumbles after having, like, six turnover-worthy plays the previous two games and three fumbles. <clears throat> last time these two teams met, Amon Rossi Brown had 21 points. Chicago River allowed the eight most fantasy points to slot wide receivers this year. So you can plug Amon Ra back in. I know he's had a couple of games which have been a little bit disappointing. And then Sam Laporta, I mean, Titan three, Titan one, last two weeks. He's tied with Mark Andrews, leading the position in touchdowns. So, yeah, Jameson Williams, though, I think we're at a point where people are starting to want to play Jameson Williams because you see that touchdown he had last week where he looked so fast. But he still never had a game where he's had more than two touches, even with the touchdowns. Like the production, it's kind of like, you know, if you're in deep leagues, some of the leagues we play in, Rich, where you might be starting five wide receivers, that's where you can start. But if you're playing in a traditional league where you've got three wide receivers and a flex, I'm still not even sure it's enough production to get that, even when he's scoring touchdowns. 
I think saying five wide receivers, I think I'd need to go deeper. I think I'd need to get to kind of wide receiver 70 range before I'm even considering starting him. I just think the volume's not there and yeah, you're hoping on a touchdown and that's that always scares me. I have to say this matchup, I know it's only a 40 over under, but with the way that the Lions defense is playing at the moment, they've been absolutely abysmal. It's basically Hutchinson and nothing else. And hopefully Chicago are smart enough, like the other teams have done over the last three weeks. To, you can basically double Hutchinson and know that you've got no other trouble across the board. The secondaries in tatters, yes, they've had lots of injuries, but I think that this is basically a Justin Fields playing for his future as a Chicago Bear. If he can't put up decent passing numbers against this woeful Detroit secondary, I think that's basically spells the end of his time as a starting quarterback for the Bears. So, yeah, really, really intrigued this matchup. And I think it has the potential to be one of those kind of slate-breaking weeks where it's got an over-under of 40. Not many people are going to identify it as a really attractive matchup, but actually it could score a hell of a lot of points and go well over that over-under. Well, look at the last time they played in week 12. Two weeks ago, the Bears have been on a bye since then. Sorry, uh, three weeks ago or whatever. Like, 57 points. There isn't that much that's changed with these teams since then. That is really going to, yeah. Obviously, the weather might have more of an effect on things. But, yes, it's outside. Last time it was in the Dome. Jared Goff historically plays better in the dome or at home. So perhaps that hampers things slightly. But yeah, I agree with you. I think there's plenty of upside in this one. It's, it's a game I'll be talking about in the DFS clinic video for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then D or Damien's in, in the chat asking, should we are we downgrading Devonta Smith with Goddard back? Um and would you have any concerns about playing Goddard? Would you go to Comet or someone like that instead? Got it. Wasn't getting it done at times this season, even before the injury. Like he was very frustrating player to own in fantasy. I had him in my home league, and there were so many weeks where it felt like he was harming me more than anything else. He had, I mean, he started the season with tight end 50, tight end 19, 13, 28, before popping up for a tight end two finish in week five, and then immediately slipped back to 14, 5, 18, 19. So, I mean, if we were talking about somebody like Chigozi McConquo and saying, okay, well, he's only had two top 12 finishes all season, can you start him? The answer would be no. And now we're going to talk about a really difficult matchup. They're playing against the Cowboys in, you know, the Cowboys defense is elite. They allow the second fewest, um, they allow the 21st fewest fantasy points to the tight end position. They rank 23rd against position in DVOA. So I don't think I can see Dallas Goddard as a starter until I see something from him. I think it's tricky to leave somebody that you invest about draft capital on your bench. And yeah, it's definitely a slight downgrade to Dallas Goddard, though, because, uh, sorry, to Devonta Smith, because in games without him, he averages 90 yards per game, and games with him, he averages 62 yards. Yeah, I, th I think Devonta Smith goes from a back-end wide receiver one to a kind of solid wide receiver two category. I think Dallas Goddard, I I never like playing guys first week off injury. I know that it's a shoulder injury. It's not muscular. He should be fine. But 
that always makes me a little bit nervous. The fact you've got Cole Komet, Cole Komet's a top six option for me this week. I think that's, it's it's not a case of should I play Goddard or not. I think Cole Komet is a smash play this week. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm very confident playing Cole Komet over someone like Dallas Goddard. And then Alex is in the chat saying, do we think Justin Fields will complete 20 passes this week? Well, um, he's done it three times this season so far. I mean, it's definitely not something I would count on. I think you're probably looking at that kind of 18 220 as possibly a sweet spot. But if it goes the way that we're kind of hoping it does, then yeah, you could definitely complete 20 passes. Yeah, I've just looked on I've just looked on one site and his over-under is 19 and a half completions. So <laughs> I'd say 20 20 feels like the perfect number. So yeah, I'll I'll take the over on the 19 and a half. But moving across to the next matchup, we talked about obviously. New Orleans playing against them last week. Carolina at New Orleans. This feels like it could be an absolutely disgusting lineup. We know that Carolina can't move the ball on offense. And then the Saints, are we going to see Jameis again? Or do we think Derek Carr is going to make a remarkable recovery? It sounds like that, you know, I mean, this is Derek Carr's second concussion in the space of a month. And it wasn't just concussion, it was one of those injuries where it was like, literally just reeled off a litany of issues like i think it was an ankle as well as shoulder it was a bad, it was a bad hit yeah it? it was a bad hit and perhaps there's a point where the saints actually just need to protect Derek carr for himself there's nobody's doubting how tough he is to be able to play after the issue he had earlier on in the season but at a certain point you're probably not helping your teammates but james winston i mean James is a fun guy, and the league is more fun when he's playing quarterback. But he hasn't played a full game since week three of 2022. He started that season for the Saints, and it wasn't exactly the most... It wasn't like when he was in Tampa Bay. He scored 21.6.6 and then 12.6 points, which isn't the kind of fantasy gold mine that we knew when he was throwing 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions. I think it I'm definitely intrigued by it. Like, if he plays, I'll want to play at least one James Winston, Chris Olave stack. And I think it doesn't really downgrade Chris Olave too much. He's had three straight games over 90 yards. It'd be nice to see Chris Olave break a long touchdown. All three of his touchdowns have come in the red zone. It feels like that's the one bit which we've not really seen from him lately. Um, But this game kind of comes back to how many touchdowns does Alvin Kamara score? All season long, we've talked about how the Panthers allow more rushing touchdowns to running backs than any other team. It's 1.4 per game. No other team allows more than 1.1. And Kamara is just balling. Like, we haven't, he's had back to back games of over 100 total yards. He hasn't been below 70 total yards in any game this year. Really consistent. We fought with Jamal Williams coming in, we fought with Kendry Miller coming in, but it might eat into his workload, but it just hasn't. Um, so, yeah, and then on the other side, I'm kind of intrigued how well Tuba Hubbard does. There was a lot of talk this week about how the Panthers changed up the running scheme and it benefited Tuba Hubbard a lot. I mean, he had 104 yards, two touchdowns, he scored over 20 points in two consecutive weeks, and he really is the only interesting part of this Panthers offense now. Adam Phelan, all of his stats have regressed since the week seven by less yards after catch, lower QBR when targeted, 5.1 catches to 8.3 pre-bye week. Um, 
And then, yeah, I mean, John Flamingo has been interesting over the last four with 7.25 targets per game, 35% air yards, but it hasn't really clicked or kind of come together enough for fantasy purposes. And against this defense, I don't want any part of it. Yeah, it feels like they've sort of anointed Mingo as the guy that's going to play most of the snaps, almost trying to force, right, we need to see what we've got in this guy going into the offseason. And they are forcing the ball to him. Sadly, he can't get open. He's His foot speed is far too slow to reel in a lot of the catches that he's been sent his way. So, yeah, not, not looked great so far. I have to say, you bigged up Alvin Kamara, but I think you undersold it. He's played nine weeks so far this year. Every single week he's finished in the top 24. Seven of those weeks he's finished in the top 12. That is remarkable. He is just plug and play top 12. He's the running back four on the season, having played in only nine games. Like, that is absolutely wild. Yeah, and he's somebody that we both kind of, in the offseason, felt had the cards stacked against him. We were wrong on him, but... You know, the good for advantage of fantasy football is you have time to correct those mistakes, and particularly with Taysom Hill being banged up. If Taysom Hill misses this game, I think we could see a 40-point game from Alvin Kamara. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to point out, Tom, that I persuaded you should draft him in at least one draft. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, we, we got we got some shares at least. Uh, Tarek, another one of our members in the chat, saying Tuba likely to replate, repeat last week, having to choose two of him, Javante Williams, Jerome Ford and Jalen Warren. Yeah, I think I'd go Tuba and, I mean, my lean's Jalen Warren there, but Tarek, I know you like Ford and I can understand that one as well. Yeah, I'm just having a quick look. So I've got no go. Giovanni isn't in play for me. Yeah, I've got Ford Hubbard Javante pretty much in the same tier. So yeah, I'd kind of toss I'd toss it up. I the one I wouldn't go is Jalen Warren, but that's me presuming that Najee Harris is back this week. So yeah, if, if Najee Harris doesn't go tonight, then yeah, Warren's an absolute must start there. And then Alex is back with another question saying, would you start feeling over Rashi Rice or Josh Downs and Scott Fishbowl? No, that's Rashi Rice for me easily. And then I'd probably go Josh Downs ahead of feeling. I just don't think the matchup is favourable to him at all. The Saints, um, they rank well against wide receiver ones. We've got the fifth best rating in DVOA against wide receiver ones. And Adam Feeler, I mean, it's just, it's just not there. Yeah, I, it, this is Rashi Rice for me. He's he's a top twenty receiver for me this week. There there is, you know, he is probable. He's he's not fully practicing yet, so keep an eye on that. But yeah, I I don't think you, it sounds awful because Thielen's probably got you into the playoffs in Scott Fishbowl. But I don't know if you can ride with him this week after the way he's been producing over the last few weeks. The next matchup, another relatively low, low over under at thirty nine, but Tampa Bay facing the Falcons. Are we ever going to see, is, is this going to be Bijan finally winning titles for people? So he's averaged 21 touches per game in the last three. And it seems ever since Arthur Smith kind of came out and had a rant about him at one point about his usage and all that, that he's capitulated and he's realised that he has to actually play him. What was kind of interesting last week was Cordell Patterson ran ahead of Tyler Algier a lot. And the three of them just combined for monster amount of rushing yards. Like I think it was over 230 or so. But yeah, I think that we can now lean into Bijan Robinson at times. Like 
21 touches per game is exactly where we want it to be. Yes, the sort of monster scores might not have necessarily come, but it seems that this Falcons team is just going to be run heavy the rest of the way. Desmond Ritter, he's only passed for less than 170 passing yards in the last two games. Drake London, he's had one game over 60 yards in the last five, one top 18 finish all year. Pitts, he played 50% of snaps in week 12, 66% last week. They seem to be using him less than they were. And it all just seems to come back to, okay, we've got three good players in the running game and we're just going to lean on them. So for me, I'm benching Drake London in a couple of games this week and very important games where I need to make the playoffs. So I fully accept that he has the talent and ability to make me look foolish but with one top 18 finish all year it hasn't got it done so far and the bucks might give up good days in the passing game but they also bring a lot of pressure and i think that's the kind of thing which is going to get to desmond ridder so i'm kind of comfortable rolling the dice like that on the other side like this game for me was one which i was largely going to ignore until aj terrell was dealing with a concussion, which means that Mike Evans all of a sudden has a far friendlier matchup. He scored 25-plus points in three of the last four, five touchdowns in the last four games. We know what we're getting from Mike Evans every week now. We know what we're getting from Rashad White. And what's been encouraging is that he's been over four yards per carry in the last two games, which is the first time in his career He's put up back-to-back four yards per carry. He's at 100 yards and then 84 rushing yards. And that was the element that was missing. If he keeps this going as well as being good in the receiving game, he really is going to be a top 12 running back for the foreseeable future. And then Chris Godwin, we're big fans of the squeaky wheel narrative around here. And his wife's been on Instagram sort of firing back at the head coach who said that Chris Godwin was nicked up. And that's why he had zero catches last week. But, yeah, I think that could definitely come into play. He did have a rushing touchdown on the end around, and that was the first time where Dave Canales, the offensive coordinator, has given him a rush since week two. You've talked about it loads this year, about how they just aren't giving him the designed targets like he's used to the screens and all that. We need to see more of that, and hopefully the squeaky wheel gets that going. But yeah, it feels fairly straightforward, this game, to me. Yeah, it, it, it's very straightforward, isn't it? To me, Bijan, Rashad White, both top 12 options. Mike Evans, top 12 wide receiver. That's all you can start in a normal league. In super flex, I think Baker Mayfield's a solid QB2. And that's it. I don't think you can have any confidence in anyone else in this matchup. It feels like you're, you're getting too deep in the weeds if you're looking elsewhere. A couple people in the chat saying hello. Thank you for joining us. Very much appreciated. We're going to dive across now to another matchup. But before we do, if you want to win more fancy titles, it's as simple as this. Hit that subscribe button. We will help get you there. Also, while you're there, hit the thumbs up. It helps us spread the word and helps more people get involved. Uh, Indianapolis at Cincinnati. Now, will the real Jake Browning please stand up? Are we going to see a repeat of Monday Night Football or is he going to go back into his shell and we're going to see what he did uh, in that first game? Yeah, it was 
It was very unexpected. I mean, you know, he had 86% completion rate on Monday night. He had 73% the previous start. And what we're seeing is that he's not afraid to push the ball downfield. He's been pushing the ball downfield more than Joe Burrow did. It led to Jamar Chase having the second biggest day of the year with 31.6 points. He had over 13 yards per reception in both Browning starts. He only had two all year with Joe Burrow in the center at that level. So it's been encouraging for Jamar Chase, who when Joe Burrow went down, you could have thought, okay, well, he's a lost cause for fantasy this year. So you start Jamar Chase. Joe Mixon, he's playing more. You can see on screen there, 7% more snaps than last year. Even with Chase Brown mixing in, even with Trayvon Williams mixing in occasionally, we're still seeing a very fantasy-relevant Joe Mixon. But what he does need is he needs the touchdowns. Between weeks one to six, he averaged 11.5 fantasy points per game, and he only had one touchdown in that spell. Weeks eight eight to 13, he's been averaging 18.2 points, and he's had six touchdowns in that game. The good news for him, though, is that the Colts are a team that struggle against running backs. They've allowed the second most running back rushing touchdowns this year at 1.1. They've allowed the fifth most rushing yards per game at 106. So I think Joe Mixon can absolutely get there. I think when you look at other players from the Bengals side, Tanner Hudson's kind of flashed and been, okay, you're talking like 40 yards per game. But T Higgins is somebody that I would really struggle to start now. He hasn't scored a touchdown since week two. He's had five games under 40 yards this year. And it just feels like, I mean, why, why is he getting back? Why is he getting back on the field? I know the Bengals are kind of in the playoff mix, but I don't get it. And this game, though, I'm definitely feeling like there's potential in this one because Gardner Minshew, when he gets the ball out quickly, he's been fantastic. It's like... The longer he holds on to it, that's when everything becomes a problem. But last week, they were running lots of screen games, lots of design passes, lots of RPOs to help him get the ball out. And it really worked against the Titans. And I don't think the Bengals' front are as good as the Titans' defensive front. Um, Zach Moss is 100% back in play, regardless of last week's kind of failure. The Bengals 29th run defense DVOA. They've allowed the third highest yards per carry of running backs. They've allowed the 10th most running back rushing yards ninth most touchdowns per game. And then Michael Pittman is an every week starter. He's going to make a lot of money this year. The only player with more targets than Michael Pittman's 127 is Keenan Allen. And then if you need to, you could possibly start Alec Pierce. Last week, it feels a bit points, JC. You know, it was the first time that he's had, you know, he's averaged what, 26 yards per game over the course of this season before last week. He's only had one game with four or more receptions. So it definitely feels a bit points, Chasey. But the team had talked about how they wanted to get him more involved. And then Josh Downs, I mean, he hasn't finished inside the top 40 wide receivers in the last four games. So I think that one definitely feels a little thin. But the Bengals' defense got all kinds of problems. So maybe this game shoots out and becomes one of those kind of real sneaky upside games. I can't get on board with any sort of Alec Pierce uh, optimism. This is a guy that's had one week inside the top 36 wide receivers. He's averaging 0.9 yards per route run, 10% targets per route run. It's just, yeah, there's squeaky wheel, there's chasing points, but I think you're uh, you're chasing down a blind alley there. 
The the Joe Mixon point, I, I'm intrigued, Tom. The Colts are 32nd in adjusted fantasy points allowed to the running back position. We know that this offense, yes, Jake Browning is going to get the ball out quickly. I think it's still going to lean on that run game. Do you think that if you're a contender, whether it be redraft, whether it be, you know, dynasty, you could potentially go out and try and buy Joe Mixon for this playoff stretch because he's got some decent matchups. Yeah, I don't hate it. I think that you can probably acquire him quite cheap. I mean, what, like a mid-second would probably do it, I'd imagine, in Dynasty at this point, because he's not going to be back with the team next year. He saw a season-high seven targets last week, which, you know, normally when players lose their quarterback, we're not expecting an uptick in the things that are valuable. But he got seven targets last week, obviously had two touchdowns. It was first game with two touchdowns all season. So, yeah, I don't hate that at all. I think there's plenty of sense there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's there's a lot of players being talked about as players going target down the stretch. And I do wonder if Joe Mixon could be one. And if you're in Dynasty, go and have a look at Chase Brown because I think he's going to be the lead back in, in Cincinnati next week. And you can probably get him very cheap right now. Uh, the next matchup, we can probably skip over this because uh, we don't want to talk about Zach Wilson coming back to the Jets. But Houston against New York. We obviously know the Tank Dell injury. Does this mean that we're just going to be CJ Stroud, Nico Collins, and and not much else in this offense? It's kind of like it's a real difficult week for it to be the first Nico Collins week to go up against the Jets, who allow a league low in fantasy points to opposing wide receivers who have been fantastic against the pass all year. But it matches, as you can see on screen there. The number one, number four ranked passing offense against the number four ranked pass defense. So it comes down to which unit is stronger. And I do actually think Zach Wilson being back in the Jets starting lineup is better news than the backups. He averaged minus 5.2 completions over expected. The backups were averaging minus 12.4. So that probably keeps this game a little more alive than it could have been. I think that when you look at what CJ Stroud's doing, leading the league in passing yards, I think he's the first rookie to do that since Andrew Luck. And Nico Collins had two top five finishes back to back. That normally I don't like to stray away from the offensive side of things just because the defensive side sounds tough. I think you look at what Nico Collins is, he's a big player. I think that he's definitely got a high advantage over Source Gardner. I'm not so sure about DJ Reed. I'm sure he'd be able to tell me that. The Jets, they have done well, though. They've kept every wide receiver since six uh, week six, apart from Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, and Khalil Shakir, to under 15 points. But, yeah, I mean, if Nico Collins can go out and get 15 points in this kind of tough matchup, I'd be fine with that. The running back situation... The Jets are a run funnel. They are not as good against the run as they are against the pass. They rank 14th against the run. Um, Damian Pierce had a 57% opportunity share last week. It was the first time he was over 50% since week five, and he averaged 2.75 yards per carry. It's It just isn't there. There was talk during the Texans' bye week that he'd struggle to pick up this run scheme from a new offense, so perhaps they go back to Singletary. But Singletary, his smash games came against the Bengals and the Cardinals, two teams awful against the run. So it's by no means 
a sure thing that Singletary would come in and be any better. Dalton Schultz, if he plays, I'd be fine playing him. Brevin Jordan, we saw last week, slide straight into that role. The Jets allow a league high 0.6 touchdowns per game to tight end. And then on the Jets side, I mean, we can get through it quickly. Brees Hall sounds banged up, but if he plays, you play him. The Texans ranked 27th in DVOA versus running backs in the receiving game which is an area where Brees has had success since week six. He's averaged 5.1 receptions per game. And then Garrett Wilson, I mean, he was averaging 65 receiving yards in games with Zach Wilson compared to 47 without. And since week 10, the Texans have allowed 15-plus point games to Cortland Sutton, Tyler Boyd, Calvin Ridley, and Jamar Chase. This feels like a spot where Garrett Wilson could score 20, but you have to have a little bit of faith in Zach Wilson to do so. Yeah, I think Zach Wilson's going to force the ball to him. You know, we've seen Alan Lazard has, has had issues with disciplinary and, and been benched and they've got the two undrafted free agent rookies in Xavier Gibson and Jason Brownlee that, that are starting. So it feels like this is basically Garrett Wilson and nothing much. I think Brees Hall, the floor is quite impressive. He's on an, a decent run of, I think it's nine consecutive games of scoring 10 fantasy points or more. The problem is, is that he's basically scoring 10, 10.5, 11 in those weeks. Like there's not the ceiling games. So hopefully, you know, Zach Wilson is able to keep that extra person out of the box, push the ball downfield a little bit more than Tim Boyle and Trevor Simeon and all the other backups. And maybe we can get into a world where there's some fancy production. But I'll be honest, this is a game I'm just not touching. I think the Jets defence are going to strangle Nico Collins. I think he's going to struggle. And I just don't think the Jets are going to put up a lot of points. I wouldn't be shocked if this hits the under on that 33. I think it's going to be quite a tight one. Talking of low under-unders, you thought 33 was low. We've got an even lower one. Jacksonville at Cleveland. I don't think we're going to see Trevor Lawrence this week. If we do see Trevor Lawrence, I've got serious concerns about his from a production standpoint. Do you think that there's some hope? in this matchup? So I just checked the over and to see if there'd been any kind of line movement since pictures of Trevor Lawrence practicing today came out. And it's down at 30.5 now, so it's (laughs) 0.5 less. I don't know if it was lower than that before those reports came out. But yeah, like you, I don't think it really makes sense to put him out there in a game where he could get mauled by Cleveland. Like If you're unable to move as freely as you like to, and you've got players like Miles Garrett coming at you. That that feels like a really bad recipe to me. So, yeah, I think we're going to see CJ Bethard, um, which he did okay on Monday night, 9 for 10, 63 yards, zero touchdowns, got banged up himself. The last time he really started a game was like way back in 2020 under Kyle Shanahan, and it feels kind of unfair to try and take any answers from that because we've seen how QB friendly the Shanahan system can be. So yeah, I think it's kind of difficult to project too much. Travis Etienne, he had his first game as an RB1 since week eight, but now he's going against Cleveland run defense, which ranks fifth best in DVOA. Parker Washington came in, took all the slot work straight away after Kirk went down on the first play of the game or first catch of the game for Kirk. And he's an interesting player. I feel like he's probably going to pick up a reasonable amount of ownership on DraftKings this week because it'll be incredibly cheap. Um, And 
if obviously Christian Kirk isn't going to play. Evan Ingram finally got his first touchdown after 73 catches, which is encouraging. But, you know, if Bedford's out there, what are you really hoping for from any of these players? The main hope, I guess, would be that Joe Flacco is playing for the Browns again, which seems to be what things are pointing towards. And Joe Flacco had the Browns playing faster and more pass-heavy than we've been all year. Amari Cooper hasn't practiced so far this week, so maybe we get another of these games where he's just peppering David and Joku, peppering Elijah Moore. And Elijah Moore was being used far more downfield than we've seen at any point with him being at the Browns. It seems like the connection with him and Joe Flacco really is true. And there is something to it. The last time David and Joku saw fewer than six targets in a game was week six against the Niners. The Jags defense are not the Niners. They allow the most fancy points to tight ends. So I think you can start Elijah Moore. You can start David and Joku. Jerome Ford, it's been five straight games with touches decreasing, which feels a little bit worrying. Um, but yeah, I mean, this Jags defense, their weakness really is the passing game they've allowed the eight most fantasy points to wide receivers and given up since week 10 allowed Jamar Chase 31 points, Nico Collins 23 points, Tank Dell 17 points, Debo Samuel 15, DeAndre Hopkins 15, Brandon Ayuk 14. Like they just are not stopping the pass well enough at the minute. Yeah, I've, I've got a lot of points here, so I'm going to fly through them. Elijah Moore. Really low A dot in line with the rest of the season until that Amari Cooper injury. As soon as that Cooper injury happened, he got moved and he started getting targeted downfield. So I think if Cooper's out, I think that's really, really good news for Elijah Moore. If Cooper's back, I do wonder if he could have a high target but low value target game, potentially. Um, Travis Etienne, we've talked for the last three weeks about how he's seen that opportunity share decrease, decrease, decrease. He's been below 70% since the bye week. Last week, yes, he had a good game. Yes, he got in the end zone, but he only had a 62.5% opportunity share. The concern is still there for me. I think if you can get an opportunity to maybe sell off last week and go and target another player for the stretch or in a dynasty league, now might be the opportunity to do it because I am still concerned that this offense is never going to use him in a 70, 80% role. Um, and then Calvin Ridley... Look, we saw him get those condensed sets. We saw him get moved around more. But with Christian Kirk gone, I do wonder if we're going to start seeing him move into the slot maybe. Maybe he takes some of that rollover, which could be really interesting. And then finally, Parker Washington, $3,000 on DraftKings. Is he a free slot, Tom? Do you think he's no. a, a basically plug and play? Not really, no. I mean, I think... If it was anyone else apart from the Browns, it would be easier. You look at their defense and they are just truly elite against the pass in pretty much all facets. They allow uh, a, you know, the second fewest fantasy points to wide receivers. They allow a league low 54% catch rate to opposing wide receivers. They are sli slightly better against wide receivers out wide where they allow the six fewest fantasy points to slot receivers they allow the seven fewest fantasy points so it just if it was a different matchup yeah but we kind of need him to hit 10 points to really pay off and i'm just not sure that we need to go there but maybe we'll see how the slate develops over the weekend 
Okay. And Ray's in the chat saying Browning or Ridder this week. For me, that's that's Browning. I quite like Browning as a kind of high-end QB2 Ridder. I just can't get on board with. Yeah, it's Browning for me as well, but mainly because of the matchup. I think, you know, the Colts, they allow a reasonable amount to a fantasy production. Yeah. Just as you thought it was getting grim, we're talking about all the bad matchups. Justin Jefferson comes back and saves the slate. Are you comfortable? We talk about hamstring injuries, soft tissue injuries. You've got to be nervous that first week back. The Vikings have played it safe with Justin Jefferson. Are you slotting him in and happy playing him in DFS or are you going to wait a week? I think in DFS tournaments, he's somebody I'll consider because you just don't get players of Justin Jefferson's calibre at 8,500 very often. In cash games, it's not a chance of playing him this week, you know, where you're looking <laughs> for that safe floor. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how him and Josh Dobbs gel. I think Josh Dobbs could have easily lost his starting role, um, but playing him with Justin Jefferson and seeing where that helps is worth doing. I think that it's going to be very interesting to see how this offense as a whole responds. Obviously, when Justin Jefferson's out there, Jordan Addison's going to get less coverage. He hasn't scored over 11 points since week eight. He's had no touchdown in the last four games. TJ Hawkinson hasn't been over 55 yards in the last two games. He's had nine receptions total in those two games, which is a big drop-off from his most productive spells. I think this can also help the run game because now you can't load the box as much. Ty Chandler, he had double-digit touches in week 10 and 11 before only five in week 12. Madison, though, he's played some of his better football recently. He's averaged 4.9 yards per carry in the last two versus 3.5 over the rest of the season. So I'm interested in the Minnesota side of things. I think that there are players that, you know, Addison, Hawkinson, Jefferson... Even Madison, I'd be fine starting. Josh Dobbs, I'd be fine starting. But then on the Raiders' offense, I mean, there just really isn't much there. Josh Jacobs has had over 125 yards in two of the last three. But the Vikings are pretty good against the run. They rank sixth best in DVOA. They've allowed their eighth fewest fantasy points to the position. Then Devontae Adams had his first top 10 finish since week three in week 11. And then the next week goes back to being wide receiver 32. So, <laughs> yes, the Vikings are more vulnerable to the pass, but I just don't see it with Aiden O'Connell. I think, you know, it's better than Jimmy G and the vibes are immaculate in Las Vegas right now. But, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a one-sided matchup, isn't it, potentially, in terms of guys you can look at for DFS. The, the one thing I'm really intrigued by, which I can't believe I've never realised, is we've got a team called the Vikings. The Scandinavian name is is to put Sun at the end of you. You've got Jefferson, you've got Hawkinson, you've got Matheson, you've got Addison. I can't believe I've never realised that, but that feels so perfect. But Martin's in the chat. He's got a question for us. He's saying 0.5 PPI, he needs to start to. You've got Calvin Ridley, Zay Flowers, Jerome Ford or Jordan Addison. Which two? I'd go with Ridley and Flowers. Okay, it's uh, Flowers and Ford for me. I'm a little bit concerned about Ridley this week, as we just discussed. If you are here, Martin is a member. He gets his questions asked all the time in the Discord. If you want to join the Discord, become a member and get access to all that goodness, all of my Dynasty content. 
I'm writing the rookie guide. That's going to be out in March. You get a free copy of that. And of course, you get all of Tom's DFS content, all of those write-ups, all of those match-up information in the Discord. Hit that join button below. You will not regret it. Moving to the latest slate of games, we've got Seattle at San Francisco. A decent matchup potentially for, for DFS here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was only week 12 that these two teams last played each other, and the Seahawks got dominated 31 to 13. And it was one of those games where Debo Samuel just absolutely feasted. We talked about it that week, about how Debo feasts against zone defense. The Seahawks play a lot of zone defense. And he went out and had 94 yards and a touchdown. I think we can expect another good game from him. I think it's easier for Debo this week, whereas Ayuk faces the outside coverage, which is where the kind of strength of the Seahawks' pass defense is. Uh, I think McCaffrey, you know, last time that these teams played, he scored 30.9 PPR points. He's touched the ball at least 20 times in four straight games. So he's a very easy click for me, even at 9,200 on DraftKings. Uh, he's only finished below RBA on two occasions all season. The Seahawks, they've allowed four different wide receivers to score 16 or more points since week 11. So the Niners side of it feels very straightforward. Um, I think on the Seahawks side, DK Metcalf, I'd have a little more faith in than Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett just... It just isn't there at the minute, sadly. You can see on the screen, four top 30 finishes all year. Last year, he only had three finishes outside the top 30 wide receivers each week. It just it isn't clicking. He's dealt with injuries. At the same time, Jackson Smith and Jigba's come along more. He's averaged 51 yards per game since week nine. Average air yards is up to 7.4 since week seven. It was down at 4.2 before that. So... Yeah, I'd start DK Metcalf at a push and I'd start JSN at a push. But outside of that, I don't really want to play anyone. Zach Charbonnet has been okay, hasn't been amazing. He was the RB11 last week, had 99 yards and a touchdown on 20 touches. But he's averaged 3.2 yards per carry over the last three. It hasn't been easy going for him. Uh, and if I've got a better option than Charbonnet, I'd probably take it this week because the Niners, their, pass, uh, their run defense is 18th in DVOA. They do give up some points there, but they've allowed the fifth fewest fantasy points to the position. Yeah, so Martin's in the chat. He's wondering, do you fancy a super stack? You've got Purdy, CMC, Debo with the DK bring back? Absolutely. And um, we'll definitely, you know, in the weekly DFS clinic video I do for the YouTube members, we'll talk about the best stacks of the week that I want to attack, those that are projecting really well, those that I feel like you can build around comfortably. But we are definitely going to talk some Brock Purdy stacks this week. Perfect. And then Jerry is also asking, PPR, who you starting? Elijah Moore, London, or Jerry Judy? This is Elijah Moore by a, a landslide for me. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Yeah, perfect. We'll keep with some decent slate of games, but you've got 13 seconds to cover this one, Tom. We, of course, have got the superstar matchup, Buffalo at Kansas City. The playoffs have started for the Bills. This is absolute must win. Does that mean we're going to see Josh Allen rushing more, potentially a decent fantasy output because of it? Well, I mean, Allen's been balling. The problems with the Bills have not been Josh Allen. You look at what um, he's been doing, and it's, yeah, he's... 
top six quarterback in seven of the last nine games. I have no worries about him. I think this sets up for another Gabe Davis week. The Chiefs rank 32nd, uh, 24th against wide receiver twos. They rank seventh best against wide receiver ones, third best against wide receiver threes, seventh best against tight ends. Their weakness is that wide receiver two position. Gabe Davis, we know that he can pop up for those kind of games. Might not feel good, but I mean, I'd start Gabe Davis over somebody like T. Higgins this week quite happily. Uh, James Cook, he's had three straight 100-yard games. He's had 20-plus touches in back-to-back games. The usage with him this season has been like a yo-yo. It feels really hard to predict week to week, but at times you've probably just got to lean into it. The big question with the Bills this week is what does it look like if Dawson Knox plays this week? He's coming off IR, and in the game's pre-injury, Dolan Kincaid was averaging 7.3 points per game. Whilst Knox has been out, it's been 14.2. It just It's the difference between being fantasy relevant and not. So that is the big question mark for me, but I think you have to start Dalton Kincaid if you can. And the Chiefs, they have allowed 20-plus point games to wide receivers in back-to-back games. Christian Watson had 27.6, Jacoby Myers had 20. But if I had to bet on one player to really hit the ceiling this week, I feel like it's more Gabe Davis. On the Chiefs' side, Mahomes' five last finishes, QB 32, QB 12, QB 14, QB 8, QB 15. This offense isn't going to get fixed this year. There isn't a solution to it. Rashi Rice has been excellent. I think, you know, the Bills' secondary ranks 22nd in past DVOA. They've allowed 14 or more points to A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, T. Higgins, Cortland Sutton in the last four games. And everything's trending up for Rashi Rice. But you probably start Pacheco. You can start Kelsey. But outside of that, why bother? Yeah, the Bills' offense is is very interesting with Knox potentially back this week. You know, they talked all the offseason about this eleven point five personnel that they were going to use because Dalton Kincaid was a slot receiver and a tight end, and they were going to get Knox on the field. That basically didn't work. They finally Knox got injured. Kincaid they used as a traditional tight end, and it meant that they could unlock Khalil Shakir who has been fantastic when he's been on the field. And it's really unlocked this offense over the last few weeks. I hope that they keep Shakira on the field because I think that it puts the offense in better situations. I think they get better matchups. And I think that, you know, we can hopefully allow Kincaid to continue to produce. You know, Khalil Shakir played 80% of snaps last week, uh, last week for last, sorry, before the bye. I hope that Dawson Knox isn't going to come in and just start playing, you know, 70, 80% of snaps because it feels like it would be a massive step out for this entire offense. But we're talking Buffalo tight ends. Rory, one of our members, wants to know what would you trade to acquire Kincaid? 10 team start, 10 PPR, 0.5 premium. I presume reading that, that would be a dynasty league based on those settings. There's not many redraft leagues where you're starting 10. Um, I would pay probably an early seconds, but I think I'm probably a little bit lower than consensus. I think you'll probably have, if you want to go and buy him, you're probably having to pay a mid to late first at least, because I think that's where his price is. I've seen some ranks recently in the Dynasty community where he's been talked up as a top four, top five tight end in Dynasty at the moment. So, yeah, I wouldn't be going and buying him at the moment, but I think if you're going to, you're going to have to pay up. Who would you rather have if you're going to acquire... A rookie tight end, would you rather require Sam Laporte or Dolan Kincaid? Oh, Sam Laporte, every day of the week and twice on Sundays, I think. To me, they're 
there's a big gap there. I think Sam Laporte has outproduced Kincaid. I think he's in a better offense. I think he's got less weapons around him that are going to eat into those targets. And he's two and a half years younger. So yeah, it's definitely Sam Laporte over Kincaid. And I'm I'm happy to probably pair second on top to go and get Sam Laporte. It's not even close for me. David Felipe in the chat, he agrees. Sam Laporte, big fan. Uh another matchup. It feels like all the good games are late. I don't know why the NFL do this. Give us some good games at six o'clock. Denver at the Chargers. Could this be the final nail in the coffin for Brandon Staley? We're going to see a new head coach next week in LA. It just feels impossible that he's going to be in a job in February. And, it, you know, I take no pleasure in that because Brandon Staley, when he came as coach of the Chargers, was really analytically driven and he did stuff that other coaches sneered at. But... Too many things have been a problem. The defense is just horrendous. They can't stop anyone. I think you immediately look at this game and go, okay, well, Colin Sutton's in for another good game because he scored third most receiving touchdown among wide receivers. He's had six top 24 weeks as a result of this. And the Chargers passed defense, they ranked 27th in DVOA, 28th first wide receiver ones. Since week 10, the only team to not have a 19-point performance out of a wide receiver against the Chargers was last week with the Patriots. And even then, they managed, I think, Devontae Parker had 11 points, which, given that they scored zero points on offense, is actually fairly impressive. Um, so, yeah, I think it's quite a simple one for me, this game. I want to start Russ Wilson. You know, he's finished between QB10 and QB18 over the last five. And in Superflex leagues, he's been fantastic as a QB2. He's had 21 rush attempts in the last two games for 34 and 44 yards, a touch, rushing touchdown in both, which it's just not what we were seeing from him last year. Jerry Judy, I can't start anywhere. I mean, he's had one touchdown all year, not finished inside the top 24 wide receivers any week. And Giovanni Williams, like, he's kind of a fringe running back too every week but the explosivity it's not there the efficiency isn't there and even against the Chargers defense that isn't particularly good against the run they rank 22nd in DVOA I'm just not sure I have confidence that he's going to get enough touches on the other side of the ball this is one of those games where it should be you know if people talk about Sneckler as an automatic play this week I'll gladly fade him because Everything that the Broncos have done this year gets viewed through the lens of, okay, well, they give up lots of fantasy points to the running back position. But that's massively inflated by the game against the Dolphins from earlier on in the season. Since week six, they've completely clamped down on the amount of points that they allow to the position. So I don't want to start Austin Eckler because he's been miserable. And in two of the last three games, he's had three targets. That is not going to do it for a guy who has lived off his efficiency through the passing game. Keen Allen was the first uh, last week was the first time that he's had less than eight touches since week seven. I you know he's battling through injuries. It's going to be like it's the rest of the way, but I think that this is a decent enough of a matchup where he can be good again. And then Gerald Everett, he's had back to back games with forty plus yards, which you know he's been a tight end one in both games. So in a game against the Broncos, who will have a second most fantasy points, two tight ends, ranked dead last in DVOA against tight ends, it's probably going to end up being Donald Parham who pops up for a couple of touchdowns. 
but one of them is going to get there because in nine of the Broncos' 12 games this year, they've allowed a tight end one performance. Only the Bengals allowed more yards to position than them. And perhaps we get a little more clarity in wide receiver with Josh Palmer. He's coming off IR. Jalen Guyton's kind of been okay, but it just feels like what we've seen so far is what it is. It's going to be Keenan Allen and then occasionally days from other players. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't get on board with any sort of Austin Eckler hype. As you said, you laid it out there, the stats perfectly. But let's be honest, he's looked awful the last few weeks. I know he's had a high ankle injury and, and yes, backs do tend to struggle after those. But he doesn't look like the athlete he was. He looks slow. He looks unagile, if that's even a word. I think he's he's done in, in Los Angeles. I think there's going to be a new regime. I don't think they're going to re-sign him as a free agent. And and let's be honest, I can't see a team going out and spending big money. So I think his fantasy days as a you know relevant superstar are sadly long gone because I think that's it. We can pull the plug on him. The big matchup of the week, though, the Eagles at the Cowboys. This feels like it could be huge. We know that the Eagles are horrendous against wide receivers. So is it a really juicy, eye-opening matchup for C.D. Lamb? So everything the Cowboys have kind of done really well started at their week seven bye. At that point, they came out more pass-heavy and... C.D. Lamb's hot streak was then. It was weeks 8 to 10, where it was wide receiver 1 or wide receiver 2 each week for three weeks running. Since then, he's dropped down to wide receiver 15, wide receiver 21. But the last time these two teams played, he had 28.1 points, and the Eagles haven't come up with any answers in their secondary to make me think that Dak isn't going to be at a cook against them this week. I mean, he's been QB 3 or better in six of the last seven games, they haven't really faced a good defense in that spell. They faced the Chargers, Rams, Eagles, Giants, Panthers, Commanders, Seahawks. But the Eagles aren't a good defense. Yes, they bring pressure up front, but the Cowboys' offensive line's good. And since the bye, everything's been good. I mean, Tony Pollard, pre-week seven bye, was averaging 3.8 yards per carry. Since then, he's averaging 4.5 He's averaging more yards after contact since the bye week as well. Brandon Cooks, before the bye week, was averaging 26 yards per game. Since then, he's had games with 173, 42 yards and 72. Gallup, 68% snaps before the bye week, 43% on average since. They seem to have realised that their offence isn't going to work with Michael Gallup being featured. It's Brandon Cooks, it's CeeDee Lamb, it's Tony Pollard, and it is Jake Ferguson, who had 19.7 points last week. He's had three games over 75 yards this year, uh, which is a lot for the tight end position. The Eagles, they allow the 11th most fantasy points to tight ends. They allow the most fantasy points to wide receivers, the second most to quarterbacks. It just seems like that's going to all line up really nicely. I think I'd be more comfortable starting the pass catchers with Tony Pollard because the Eagles are fairly good against the run. They rank fifth best in run defense DVOA. And then on the Eagles side, yeah, I mean, we kind of touched on this earlier, talking about Dallas Goddard being back. Devonta Smith scored 18 points in games without Dallas Goddard, 14 points with, 62 yards in games with, 90, yards, uh, 90 yards without De Dallas Goddard. So 
I think you probably start Devonta Smith and just hope he keeps the hot streak going. I don't have much faith in Dallas Goddard, as we talked about earlier, until I see it. Devonta Smith, uh, DeAndre Swift, I'm kind of concerned about. In the last three, he's been running back 25, running back 9, running back 31, and running back 34. Last week, in what we knew was a tough matchup, he averaged 2.2 yards per carry. It was just miserable. And the Cowboys, their run defense is a top 10 unit still. I don't think they're the kind of soft defense that DeAndre Swift's going to eat against. Um, and AJ Brown, I mean, he got back on track last week with eight for 114. Back to being a top 12 wide receiver after two games, like really miserable performances. And yes, the Cowboys are good against wide receiver ones, but AJ Brown is so elite. I think you don't have any any questions about that. So yeah, I mean, I'd keep away from running backs. I'd keep away from Dallas Goddard, but everything else feels like a smash. Yeah, it feels like a quarterback and wide receiver matchup. This doesn't it? You know, Eagles first in adjusted fantasy points allowed to the running back position. That makes me very nervous about Tony Pollard, as you said there. Jondre Swift, he struggled the last kind of three or four weeks. I think we might start to see Kenny Gainwell get a little bit of usage. I know they talked him up in the preseason. He's had some usage, but I do wonder if we start to see him work in a little bit more over the next few weeks. But this is a game, step, set fantasy aside, I'm very much looking forward to watching because I think it's going to be a really interesting affair. If you are watching this, whether it be live, whether it be sat on YouTube not live. I don't know what the opposite of not live is. You can still get your questions answered. Tom and I, over the next week or so, leading up to the Sunday games, we will answer a hundred percent of your questions that you ask, whether it be start sits, trade questions, dynasty questions, or even a little DFS nugget. Get them in those comments below. Tom and I will answer them, reply, and give you the answer that you need to win those titles. Green Bay at the Giants. This is the double Monday night football matchup, which we all don't need. Jordan Love has been absolutely balling the last four weeks. It feels like people have done a 180 turn and are fully now in on him. Do you think this is just going to be the Packers absolutely destroying the Giants? Yeah, and the Giants' defence is kind of like competent enough in some areas to stop games really developing an issue out territory a lot of the time. Um, the one area where they really give up points is to wide receivers. They allow the fourth most fantasy points to wide receivers. So if Christian Watson's out with a hamstring injury, then it would be disappointing, particularly because he had back-to-back games with 20 points. He had 14 catches in the last two games, 18 total across the rest of the season before those two games. But Jaden Reed becomes an even easier click. Romeo Dubs becomes an easier click. Tucker Craft is completely touchdown dependent. The Giants will have the fewest fantasy points to the tight end position. So I think I'd feel, even in a desperate situation, I'd want to find someone other than Tucker Craft this week. And then I know you like uh, Dontavion Wicks. I think... Yeah, he's had one game over 51 yards, only two games with more than three receptions. I think he's kind of he's worth stashing if you're in deep, deep leagues, but he's not somebody that I'd be plugging in this week, really looking to start him. Um, where the Giants have struggled particularly is against wide receiver ones. They rank 27th in DVOA there. Against wide receiver twos, they're fifth best. Against wide receiver threes, they're number 10. So it's really... 
those wide receiver ones who've been able to dominate them. The Giants, they rank 31st in both run and passing offense, DVOA. They are just a bad offense all round. Saquon, I don't know how you can start Saquon at the minute. He has had, across the last three games, 7.1 points, 30 points, and 6.2. If you have a strong feeling that this is going to be a good week for him, then by all means, go and start him. The Packers are ranked 23rd in run defense DVOA, so it's not like they're elite against a run. But I don't really think it matters because it just comes out of competency of the pack of, of the Giants and whether they can get it going. Jalen Hyatt is somebody that I was taking a little bit of in best ball this summer, and he finishes a wide receiver 24 last week, 5 for 109. It was the second time this year that a Giants wide receiver had scored over 15 points. So it just kind of shows there's no reason to play any of them. Like, there's just there's nobody, there's nothing fantasy viable there. No, I mean, I think you'll be a little bit harsher on Saquon Barkley there. Yeah, the production is not there, but the guy's the averaging 21 touches a game. Like, there's not many players that you can bank on that sort of volume. I think he's still, yeah, hold your nose and he's in that RB2 territory. I think you've realistically you're going to have many better options than Saquon Barkley as much as he's probably going to burn you and probably disappoint you I think you've still got to put him in your lineup you talked about the Giants struggling against wide receiver ones it's looking like Christian Watson's not going to play on Monday night he said he's unsure as we speak who 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 are you banking on being the wide receiver one for the Packers are we talking Jaden Reed or are we lining up Romeo Dubs I mean, my kind of lean is towards Jaden Reed. He's kind of popped up in more spots more frequently than Romeo Dubs. I think Dubs has just been kind of consistent production, but it's been less flashy. Jaden Reed, I think, has scored more touchdowns, maybe. Uh, I don't have the stats in front of me, but yeah, I'd, I'd possibly just lean towards Jaden Reed. Yeah, it's, it's, I'd go Reed just because I think he's going to get more manufactured touches and still have a similar level of production in the receiving game. The final matchup of the week, we're saving Miami till last. Tennessee at Miami. We know that Tennessee like to try and stop the run. They have a good run defense, but Miami coming in, is it a different world? Are we still going to be able to run the ball for Miami? I think so. I mean, what we saw last week for the Titans was that they clamped down on Zach Moss in a way that they hadn't managed to in week five when he dominated against them. But Zach Moss got a little bit unlucky around the goal line. There were a few plays that could have swung his way, which would have really changed how the game played out. Um, and then when you compare Zach Moss to the speed of Devon Achan, even Raheem Mostert, those guys are so much faster. And even though I really think Shane Steichen is doing a fantastic job, the way that Mike McDaniel plays is so much more creative and going to put Titans defenders in an absolute blender. So I think you can start Devin Ochan. I think you can start Raheem Mostert. Obviously, Tyreek's an automatic play. Everything he's done this year has been incredible. And it's kind of like, you know, even Jalen Waddle, I wouldn't have a problem starting without any hesitation because Titans in DVOA rank 30th against wide receiver ones, 30th against wide receiver twos. It's just, you know, it's straightforward. They also rank 28th against running backs catching the ball. So it's all straightforward there. On the Titans side of things, Derrick Henry 
was in and out of the concussion protocol very quickly. I think it probably wasn't. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit like what we saw with Gus Edwards earlier this year where he left the game with it and it seemed to be one of those things where they thought, okay, well, he might have a concussion, but then immediately by the next day was cleared from it. He's in back-to-back games with 20-plus points, RB10, RB3. Miami are better against the pass and the run, which play into it. I think we see more Tajay Spears when the Titans are chasing games, which we know they're going to be in this situation. So is it going to be one of those where this is a Tajay Spears games? I know you talked on the Dynasty Rise and Falls this week that it could be time where we start seeing more. And I'd really like to, not most, because I drafted about 15% Tajay Spears in best ball. <laughs> Miami's other big weakness is against the tight end position. Chigozi McConkle is coming off his best game of the year. Miami ranked 27th in DVA. Maybe we can see a little bit of consistency from him. But Will Levis, I mean, he completed 48% of his passes last week. That is not going to get it done. So we definitely need to see more from the Titans' offense as a whole outside of just Derrick Henry. I think this Titans offense, it needs to start resembling an NFL offense. I've never seen anything like it. It is literally Will Levis. He's got the highest percentage of passes that are behind the line of scrimmage. He's got the highest percentage of passes that are beyond 20 yards downfield. And he's got the lowest between this, between those two range. It's literally check down or bomb and there's nothing in between. So, yeah, ex- expecting fancy production and reliable kind of moving the sticks downfield, it's it's basically explosive plays on nothing. So, yeah, really intrigued to see how they go up against the Miami defence, which has looked okay at times, but I think is, has definitely got some weaknesses. Yeah, it's got the two stud corners, but there's definitely some weaknesses in that middle of the field. And I do wonder if we start to see the, uh, the Titans try and take advantage of that. The the thing I'm intrigued by, you talked about Jalen Waddle. Obviously, at the beginning of the year, he was being drafted second, third round as a potential, you know, back-end wide receiver one. He's wide receiver 25 currently in points per game, but we've only seen four top 24 weeks. He's almost kind of plug-and-play 10 points a game. Do you think that he's a guy that you'd be looking to move and hope that there's still some love there? because of the name value, or do you think you've just got to accept your medicine, stick him in your lineup, and, and just kind of accept that he's probably being okay, not burn you, but probably not going to give you any upside? So one kind of thing that's given me a bit of faith in Jalen Waddle is that two of his four best performances came against the Patriots, who you know we know can remove certain options from games, and then the Jets. So it's not been like they were coming against completely, you know, cupcake matchups. I think this year, the Dolphins have just been a different team completely this year. You know, they've been so much better in the ground game this year, but it's meant they haven't had to rely on Jalen Waddle in a way like they did last year. And it's been a struggle for him. But Mike McDaniel is the kind of coach who seems to really get it. He wants to keep his players happy. He talked about heading into the bye week, how much of it he wanted to get Jalen Waddle going, coming out of the bye week. And since the bye week in week 10, we've had, what, uh, eight targets in every single game for Jalen Waddle. He's had a 
wide receiver 15, wide receiver 36, wide receiver 33 performances. So I think maybe the market miscalculated things slightly on Jalen Waddle. And really, he probably should have been a round or two later. But if he's an every week wide receiver three, that's still a player who I want on my fantasy team because we want players attached to this offense and this coaching stuff, I think. Yeah, no, makes a lot of sense. And that is it for the preview. Every single game on this week's slate covered. Of course, Tom will be back with more DFS goodness. I'll be back with a game day video over the weekend. If you're here and you've not hit the thumbs up, you've made it an hour and 15 minutes into the show, take another second to hit that thumbs up. Hit the subscribe. And of course, we'll be back around very soon. Best of luck this week and hope you bring home those wins and get into the playoffs. <laughs>